Hi, my name's Stephen Crafty. I'm presenting Talking Design at RMIT University in Melbourne. And I'm here with Blair Archibald. He's a fashion designer specialising in men's fashion. And really, he's won so many awards given his relatively young age in such a short time. I'll just read them out because they're quite amazing. Walmart Prize for Australia and New Zealand in 2018. Uh, where you represented um, Australia and New Zealand in global fashion and you were a runner-up. BT Emerging Designer Award in April 2018 and the Victoria Premier's Design Award in 2018. Pretty extraordinary awards. <laughs> Do you kind of pinch yourself or you just think just another award to put on the wall? Oh, I definitely don't think that that's just another award. I think every experience with um, any kind of like accolade is... is I, it's, I find it really like humbling, but um, I think it's just more that it surprises me that like people care enough to want to give me an award for something because I'm just working and and just kind of you know like doing my practice and then someone comes along or something an opportunity comes along and I just yeah it's it's a really it's a little bit surreal I think. Um, Blair, you're from New Zealand, obviously you studied at Auckland University of Technology mm-hmm. or AUT. Um, why menswear and anyone in the family who was a designer, designer background that actually ex- encouraged you? I mean, how did you get into it? Um, I, yeah, I don't have any kind of family story to tell about how it all came about. I think uh, menswear just seemed very relevant and relatable, um, but also... Uh, you know, fashion obviously is very small in New Zealand and Australia, and then within that, men's was even smaller. So I felt maybe I wanted to challenge myself and, and enter a niche market um, because it wasn't something that a lot of people were really focusing on or exploring. So maybe that's the reason. I mean, it's so long ago now that I think about when I studied. It's like over a decade that I was um, at university. So I can't exactly remember the choices I made into going you know for menswear but it definitely feels very right and it feels appropriate for Blair I mean Auckland New Zealand Mm. really has uh, Dunedin it really has Mm. a very strong reputation yeah uh, for fashion I mean men's and women's fashion and you know uh, unisex fashion I mean uh, Zambezi you know it's huge Mm. is it something that as a child you just uh, grow up with as opposed to Australia where it's, it's you know, it's, I mean, it's really New Zealand is very strong mm. and it always has been or for the last 20 years. Yeah. As as, what is it about New Zealand that you think that breeds that uh, excitement? Um, well, I didn't, I didn't grow up with fashion at all. So I, I was kind of in a, I came from a very, very small town. Um, very where was rural. that? Um, I was raised in Tamaranui, which is like in the king country. So it's like, lots of agriculture and um it was it's really big on the forestry and like logging kind of industries and uh then my family moved to Rotorua uh, which is where I spent quite a lot of my like teenage years and where I went to high school and fashion just kind of came out of a I guess a an urgency to want to explore something creative but I hadn't quite worked out what media what discipline it was going to be through and I remember when I, I did textiles at high school and my sewing teacher said to me that, um, what are you going to do when you finish? Because it was like 
the second to last year of school and I said I, I don't know and, and she said well you, if you wanted to you could do fashion as a degree and I, I was kind of perplexed by that because I thought don't you just do like law and accounting and medicine at university I didn't think that fashion was taken seriously enough to warrant you know it being a degree and then when, when I found that out I was like okay cool it's decided like that's what I'm doing um so yeah I, I don't I don't know I, I I really was quite desperate to get out of like a small town mindset and really explore a bigger city like Auckland but even when I moved there I didn't really understand what kind of um you know um footprint it has on a any kind of creative scale specifically fashion um but i did when i moved away actually it was when i realized what kind of cultural design identity auckland or when you, you came know, to new a, zealand. when you came to melbourne yeah yeah it's because you know i hadn't left new zealand before i'd never gone overseas i'd never traveled and so to actually even though australia's not that far away from new zealand but just kind of being away from the country and then seeing kind of what it signifies on a more kind of international scale i guess was really insightful, especially uh, when I did the Walmart Prize because I, I did it with um, two girls who have a women's wear label in New Zealand called Harman Grubisher, and um, just seeing you know what their design philosophy is, and um, you know a pool of international designers from all over the world. So it's really cool to see what their signature is, and and you know. Um, they really had a handwriting that stood out and was really resonating with New Zealand as a, as a country and um, the sort of principles of, of what we're known for, you know, in terms of um, being small, but also being really um, intuitive and um, just very kind of design led. That's our own pathway. It doesn't really have any kind of reference to another culture. Or well, I another. think that's why yeah. they're so successful exactly. because they don't look no, it's oh. the authenticity that really sets it apart, I think. And people, you know, they they really appreciate it and they really connect with that, even if they don't fully understand where it's come from. So, so Blair, um, I mean, who were your heroes when you were training? I mean, was it Marilyn Sainty or was it Zambezi? Who were the people you were looking or you just did your own thing and really didn't look at other people particularly? Well, I mean, I guess I'm a bit biased because I worked for her, but I for, always, for Kate Sylvester. Uh, so I, I worked for Kate Sylvester when I was studying and then I carried on working with her um, right up until I left New Zealand to move here. And um, she definitely, I mean, the, the fundamentals of her business, you know, she's been going for well over 20 years now. So she's very much solidified in the New Zealand design community. And uh, she, when I started working with her, she just started to uh, do a menswear line, which was obviously something I really wanted to be across. And, uh, you know, everything's made in New Zealand and all her samples are done in her own space. So all of those things I just really appreciated. And those that was the kind of, um, you know, format that I, I wanted to have if I ever was to set up my own brand. So so you when did you establish Blair Archibald as a label? When you first arrived or no, took you a few I, years? Yeah, to... a couple of years. I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I moved to Melbourne. I, I just knew that I wanted to gain more experience, whether that be working for another designer or doing something completely different but still creatively led. And it just kind of came out of a opportunity that a friend of mine said, oh, I'm going overseas for six months and I'm looking to sublease my space. And he's not a designer, um, but he had a desk space. I thought, well, I'll just take it anyway and then see what I can do with it. 
and um, I just wanted to keep making things as well. It had been like four years since I'd um, graduated and I remember hating sewing when I was at school. I really hated it because I was such a perfectionist and when something didn't go right, I just threw a tantrum. And then slowly I just started becoming a lot more comfortable with the make side of it, the engineering, and then it became something I was more interested in as opposed to the design side of it. I mean, obviously the design side of fashion is still very much something I'm, you know, embedded in, but the actual construction of garments has become almost like the main focus of what I do and what my brand signifies. Um, Blair, you're one of the few, if only Australian menswear designers to Mm -hmm. supply Masons. Yeah. In the city, which is quite an achievement because if you go into Masons in Mm. Flinders Lane, it's really the who's who of of fashion designers worldwide. And I wanted to actually hold some of, you know, see some of your work. Yeah. Couldn't because it's sold out. Yeah. That was a bit annoying. It's kind of, (laughs) it's a bit crazy. (laughs) So that must be, um, so why do you think it's sold out? Um, Honestly, I really don't know. Um, I can only really vouch for a couple of clients that I spoke to directly who were buying the pieces and gave me their feedback. And what was that feedback? Um, I think they just, they really appreciated the tactile nature of the clothing, that there it wasn't really being led by any sort of branding or anything gimmicky. It was very much about the functionality and, um, you know, the just the, the real practicality of clothes. It, it, when you boil it down, my philosophy is very simple. And those principles of clothing just really being something that is going to serve you as the wearer um, as best as it can is something that I think a lot of men as consumers appreciate because they are, well, I mean, without overgeneralizing, I feel like men are very methodical buyers when it comes to garments and that's something that I really like working with as a parameter because it means I don't get lost in this kind of design vortex and I have a really strong framework where okay these are my um, limitations or this is my brief every time I create something and it always informs how I design going forward because I'm always working either directly with a client or a retailer so I like those kind of rules in a sense that's yeah. How I... So how do you? I mean, how many collections do you do a year? Or is it really about that? Is it just? I think. How do you work? I don't know. I mean, I've kind of just made things up as I've gone along, and I haven't um, subjected myself to the whole showing twice a year calendar because it's, it's just not really that feasible in Australia either to do that. Um, I've just really gone about my own path and just. Kept, I guess, I don't know, like, I, I can't speak for other designers, but I've come to realize in the six or seven years that I've done this that not a lot of designers actually know how to make clothes. It seems kind of insane, but so many designers either have not studied fashion, so they're not formally trained, and they don't actually know how to operate a sewing machine. So I, I don't think that's a bad thing. Obviously, we live in this kind of digital world where things can be done via computer and, you know, uh, through emails with factories. So I get that. But I just think that what I've been able to survive this long because I know how to make clothes. Like that's pretty much what it is. And so I can, you know, I do a lot of private client work. I do a lot of made to measure and those things um, have kept me going. And yeah, yeah, I don't know. I just think that I've been able to almost kind of create my own business structure that sits completely outside of 
you know. But I think there has been uh, a return to the very bespoke. Yeah. And people are looking for a point of difference. Yeah. And really not looking at the label Blair Archibald, mm. looking at the garment first and then making that connection afterwards and then following you. Exactly, yeah. But the other thing you were telling me the other day, you used a lot of vintage fabrics. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's, yeah, it's so a mixture much. of like military surplus fabrics or even um, just textiles in general or garments. So it's just about, I, I quite like this concept of... Upcycling. Yeah, but also just finding things that have some kind of a story to be able to contextualize the work. I think it's really important to, um, if you're going to use uh, an existing product or material, that you be able to trace it back so that it becomes part of what your your story is going to be and so that you can give it like an underpinning. And for me, it's about shedding light on where I sourced things and where things have come from and, and what they've become through my interpretation. So that's just one element of what I do. I still operate on a somewhat more um, traditional sense of sourcing new materials. But for me, it's about trying to find this kind of harmony or this balance of new materials whilst having a more kind of sustainable approach to sourcing existing materials as well. And you mentioned that you were you had already hooked up with someone in Paris who was keen to get involved with yeah i mean doing something with you well it's i i i've had um in the past maybe like 18 months a few pr companies and sales agents have dropped me a line just kind of randomly saying you know you would we'd be interested to work with you if you're keen to show in Paris and these opportunities are great but without kind of financial backing or without enough capital to to really get over there it becomes kind of almost this well you know thanks for thinking of me but it's not gonna happen (laughs) but yeah I mean the sentiment's great and obviously it's nice to know that people from the other side of the world are even like considering me or even finding me I think that I'm still in this mindset where I'm like how do you how do you even know I exist like how does that happen and how do they find you I don't know. Like I, I assume of mouth or I, I, maybe, or they find me on. Uh, some sometimes they'll contact me via Instagram. Um, I, I really don't know. I just think that perhaps. I mean, I would attribute it m- mainly to some of the awards because, obviously, Walmart being international, it, it would have come through maybe their channels. I, I really don't know, but it's yeah. I, it's it's great to know that um, people are interested, and also that I think the thing that sparks their interest is the fact that I'm not based in Paris or I'm not based in Europe. You know, they're really trying to find designers like in the middle of nowhere. So I think that's... I suppose they also say if you're doing small volume, Mm. there's a level of exclusivity. Mm. And if you're paying, you know, reasonable prices for clothing, then you don't want to see it everywhere and, you know, want something really quite unique. Yeah. And it's very telling of how interested the rest of the world is in the story of a designer from a place like Australia. Or, and then know, New Zealand. Exactly. So I think that, you know, if anyone is interested in building a brand, but they're very discouraged by the fact that we don't have a lot of support here, um, that in itself is a really huge incentive to get started, that your story is going to be completely different from the thousands and thousands of designers who are based in the Northern Hemisphere, particularly like in London or you know, in Paris. And they're always looking for that because the market's so saturated. So people should be far more proud of that 
background and, and sort of how they started because I am. <laughs> yeah, well, New Zealand has yeah. this great pedigree. And we, I love it. And, and you know, Blair, yeah. I could say you're Australian. Like, you, you can know, if we, you want to. Yeah, I've been no, here long I enough. Actually, I'm, I'm, <laughs> very, I'm actually very right. proud of what the New Zealanders <laughs> offered. It's a bit like mm. split ends. When people you yeah. know, talk about split ends, it's kind of Australian. But yeah. You think, no, they're actually New Zealand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and even though I'm not based in New Zealand anymore, I still find that in some way, maybe it's a subconscious thing, but visually when I look at my work, I always think there's elements of my you know New Zealand heritage in there and even there's elements of my Maori heritage as well because you know my mother's side of the family is Maori and so I really try and find ways to incorporate that into the work and it, it's more of a personal thing so it's never going to be well here's my you know koru or something like that like slapped on a t-shirt it, it's more just for me to have that relationship with my work. Um, Blair how do you tend to develop a range I mean what's the starting point is it you know, like, what are you working on at the moment? A million things. <laughs> I, I, I find myself always, you know, working on multiple projects and I have this tendency to, like, spread myself too thin. So it might end up being to my demise. Who knows? <laughs> but I, I don't know. I think I build a collection quite um, intuitively. So I sort of... I, I don't really do it in stages where I sit down and go, okay, now I'm just going to, uh, you know. Do 12 pieces. Or yeah, or I'm just going to spend the next two days straight sketching and then move on to fabrics. I just, everything kind of, there's an intersection all the time happening. And um, it just finds its way very kind of like naturally. So I don't, I don't know how to explain but that. But there must be, you must have, I mean, you've got deadlines with Masons. Oh, you're, course, you're yeah. supplying a new collection Mm, to them, which, correct, yeah. which will be in the store shortly. Very much so, yes. So should people kind of line up to make sure they get something <laughs> yeah. before it disappears? Yeah, they better get it while it's hot, right? I don't know. I, just, I, I think that... Um, so, the, well, okay, specifically for Masons, that is a case of reevaluating the first collection and really sort of seeing what worked and what didn't work. Um, not that really anything didn't work because it's, it's all, all gone. gone. But um, just kind of taking you know just elements of what worked and what was successful and then finding a way to reconfigure that for a new body of work that's not just kind of regurgitating the same thing because it's not for me it's about moving forward it's about presenting a new concept a new suggestion and yeah I think also just trying to because it's for me like in this kind of retail space um, at a level you know, as high end as Masons, it's really about showing kind of an audience like what I'm capable of doing and and how kind of multifaceted my design philosophy is, and not trying to just pin it to one specific detail. Like, oh, Blair's known for you know flared pants or yeah. something like that. Yeah. I don't want that. I don't want it to be boiled down to something. What so would kind they? Of, well, what would people? If you know, look, I haven't got a, an image in front of me. Mm. I mean, you'll be able to see it on the website. Mm, mm, but if if someone was to say, you know, what what's the feel of Blair's work? Mm. What does it? You know, before I even go into a store, or yeah. you know, I what think, is it that that makes Blair different from other menswear designers? Is it just the the juxtaposition of unusual fabrics or you think there's a story when you pick up a garment, mm. you almost feel there's a backstory to it? Mm. I think it's a bit of both, really. I mean, just going back to what I said earlier, I think that for me the design sensibility is in the garments being very tactile and there's a real... Um, there's an instant kind of sensation of picking up the fabric. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be an unusual fabric, but it certainly has to have a level of... Um, quality to it that 
completely resonates with the price point. So for me, it's always about the garment being able to justify itself. And also, I love that whole idea of, because it's happened to me so many times when I've bought something where you take it home and then maybe a couple of weeks in, you discover a new detail that you didn't see when you first bought it. Or maybe there's a function to the garment that you discover later on. And it's that whole, I mean, that in itself just really kind of, um, you know, it really symbolizes a relationship between the wearer and the garment. And I love all those things because those things happen outside of the scope of, you know, the, the retail space. And um, I try and always find a way to incorporate that into my work as well. Because for me, what also attracted me to menswear in the beginning was um, that it is all about purpose design, purpose-led design. So the idea of, you know, trousers for men have to have pockets and they have to be in a certain place and all of those things kind um, of almost it's a bit like being an architect and yeah, having a very specific brief absolutely and then rather than just going oh, i'll do what i like yeah and yeah. It's, a, it's very like following a professional code that's not official or it's not kind of anywhere it's but just if you don't include it it doesn't exactly work. exactly you do yourself a disservice so for me i love leading by that sort of example as well and i guess that would be something that people would pick up on as a signature of and, mine, maybe. And, Lee, if I said to you, where do you see yourself in 10 years' time? Or you're <laughs> going to say, I have no idea. What would, well, isn't it just you don't plan that far ahead? Um, probably not 10 years. That's pushing it. But I feel like um, I just, I don't know. I definitely see myself, well, fashion's really the only trade I know. And um, certainly making things and creating things is always going to be a part of my life, whether I decide to stay in fashion or not. Would um, you extend it to women's wear or you feel that there's, if there's too well, much competition? Well, I remember, I remember we talked about this yeah. a while ago, but I just think that my concept is, or at least my direction, is led by this idea of Function. women wearing men's wear mm-hmm. as opposed to doing women's wear and segregating it. I think that for me it's about this new conversation that we should be having or a lot of us are having where... Uh, women, you know, they have a certain style and a certain attitude. They will interpret menswear for themselves and it becomes a whole new thing. It's not about trying to design something that go that can, you know, women find, they can find it accessible. It's more about just, you know, having this idea of menswear that takes on a completely different, what transforms when it's on the female form. So that I mean, for me is fun. And I mean, that was big in the 80s and the 80s mm. is back again. And I yeah. think there are more women now entertaining that type of look yeah and going well you know we don't have to wear frilly little dresses no exactly and you know um it's more collaborative as well it allows the wearer to to be more of an integral part of how the garment transforms and how it's how it behaves on a different frame and you know mason's is a great example of that because um the buying director is female she approaches all the men's collections with a female eye particularly with the idea of uh, females coming into the store and, and you know yeah. being really interested in menswear because they know that not a lot of women are going to be wearing that. So that's another interesting kind of psyche to to dismantle, you know, in the in the sense of like buying behaviors. And I always find that that really interesting when I'm designing as well. So, um, but I don't know. I, I I feel just going back to that thing you asked me about ten years because I was just thinking <laughs> about it like literally as I was talking. I like this idea of I could um, say twenty years. Yeah. <laughs> haven't got that far yet (laughs) still processing i feel like um i i definitely whatever it is that happens i want to be able to sort of 
I don't know, leave behind some kind of legacy. I don't want, I don't want that to come across like egotistical or anything, but it's more about just having something that I've done that really just kind of illustrates my point of view, but also just my experiences. And I know that that's not easy for everybody to do, but I've been able to do it. I've been very lucky to do that and have a voice and a platform to really kind of tell all of those stories. And so whether I continue to do fashion or not in 10 years time, I would like to think that I'm still leaving behind something that really signifies, you know, all of the um, things that I've been able to do and, and just kind of, yeah, like, well, look, thanks for coming on the program. Blair. <laughs> okay. I um, look forward to seeing where you are in the next five years. Mm-hmm. Hopefully the conversation will continue. During yeah. That yeah, time. absolutely. Yeah. But I will be um, going to Mason's early to make sure I okay. get to see something yep. rather, Pre-order. Than, rather than it's already gone. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks so much for coming onto the program. Oh, thanks for having me. You've been listening to Blair Archibald and listening to Stephen Crafty talking design at RMIT University in Melbourne. Thanks so much for listening.